I feel like I like ha- coming up with a too clever by half uh mega block shout out and you're kind of like oh gee what day is it saturday i feel like yellow hey welcome to yellow saturday mega block you know so that kind of thing you know yellow saturday mega block i'm using that that's time <laughs> you're like done and done <laughs> citizens welcome to another episode of drock a monthly podcast wherein we read through uh judge dread the complete case files which more or less covers a year in the life of everyone's favorite mega city lawman i am uh, jeff lester and with me is my talented delightful and more than capable of being teased co-host graham mcmillan hi i'm going to start this episode off by correcting jeff immediately for what a minute in and i'm already correcting you uh these days the, the case files collect six months yeah. i can tell you right i can tell you right now this collects material from july 2001 through january 2002 well you know it's funny that you mentioned that Graham, because i did check it at the beginning and i was assuming that it was misprint because i'd swear to god last volume was also 2001 2002 as was the volume before it is it possible that the quote-unquote bonus story here that they forgot to include in the previous volume is the 2001 story and this is all 2002 admittedly no. only six months it's not because i actually went back and checked publication dates Ooh. yep uh, this uh, the 2080s are one uh sorry 1250 through 1275 which particularly go from july 2001 through the end of january 2002 and magazine volume four issues one through six from august 2001 through january 2002 nice don't you come here expecting me not to have publication dates yes Normally, seriously but this time I actually checked. Wow. So that's unfortunate for you. Yes. Uh, for the most part, the writing team is John Wagner, Gordon Rennie, Alan Grant, and Robbie Morrison. Although the first 10 episodes of the book are Helter Skelter, written by Garth Ennis, uh, for reasons that we will, I'm sure, touch on. Oh, uh, The art team is is all over the place this time. We have mm-hmm. some Henry Flint, we've got some Carl Scarra, we've got uh, Colin McNeil does some, we've got uh, Ian Gibson, we have uh, John Burns, Fraser Irving, Cam Kennedy does some stuff. It's really is, a, the art team for this is, is widespread, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And yet, Siku light, so I'm okay with it. By the way, Graham tried to cut me off and didn't want me to say this, but we are coming to you live from Morgan Yam Megablock. If it makes you feel better, Graham, we're directly across the street from Sherman Bazinga Megablock. Um, but I needed, you know, of course, those of us keeping track of uh, the podcast's uh, journey throughout Mega City One, those are the pinpoints of the map where you will find us. Um, right near a hottie stand. So, Graham? Um... I'm with Shell Bazinga Block. Let's go. Block War. Shall we get Helter Skelter out of the way first? I mean, sure, sure. 
do you want to set the historic uh, framework for this story? Because I, I assume that you're aware of it. Um... Uh, the historic framework is Helter Skelter is Garth Ennis's return to Judge Dredd, which literally is him filling a contractual obligation. Uh, around the period that this is being published, Rebellion is purchasing 2080 and the magazine from IPC slash Fleetways slash Egmont at this point. And as part of the negotiations, Troubled Souls is is folded in because Troubled Souls is technically part of 2080 because it first appeared in Crisis, which was the 2080 spinoff. Troubled Souls, for anyone who knows, is Garth Ennis's first published comic. Uh, appeared in crisis in i think the end of 87 or maybe the beginning of 1988 and it's have you ever read it jeff i never have no it's almost unrecognizable as a garth ennis comic huh. uh, it is sincere to the point of seeming like something that michael stipe would set aside for being too earnest uh it is a very heartfelt, very adolescent, and I don't really mean that as an insult, but it's it's a it's a very sincere, very like oh the troubles are hard story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Ennis's first published work. I think it's John McRae's first published work as well, mm-hmm. and it was critically acclaimed at the time. It was a big fucking deal at the time. It launched Ennis just like a rocket into the British comic scene. Mm-hmm. Ennis has been very clear. <laughs> In later life, that he is fucking mortified by it and never wants it to print ever again. But that's not why he wanted the rights to it back. He wanted the rights to it back because it contains the first appearance of the characters from Dicks, which was the series that he later did with Avatar. And so he wanted he wanted the rights to it. And Rebellion basically said, "We'll give you the rights to it if you write us a ten part Judge Dredd story." Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Done." <laughs> Helter Skelter is the Shitty results. Okay, so two things. Graham, I I have to say that sort of the same way that you corrected me on my dates and my statistical error within the first minute, I'm chiding you for the fact that you could have said Helter Skelter came about because Rebellion offered Garth Ennis and Joan McRae the chance to get their dicks out. And oh, that's true. I, I let everyone, and uh, most of all, myself down. <laughs> I'm a close second, though, Graham. I just want I want that noted. Like we're neck it's and true. neck. I let I let you down. It's a photo finish. It's a photo finish as far as disappointment goes. I I apologize to all of you listening. Now, one of the things that I found personally kind of satisfying about Helter Skelter, and there's a couple of things to to touch on, not least of which is the fact that there is a secret ultimate bad guy behind uh, Helter Skelter that never appears on the page, but apparently is affecting the events we're seeing at more or less every turn. But before I get to that... One of the things that's super enjoyable is, A, I thought that this was Ennis's strongest showing with Dread yet, which is... It probably is, but that's a really fucking low bar. Absolutely. Absolutely a low bar. But the other thing that is great is, again, this is Ennis in 2001. Pretty big fucking deal over in the U.S. as a result of uh, Preacher 
um, you know, he's been working for DC and Vertigo for some time. Because I think I think Demon, the Demon, which he also was writing for a significant chunk, that was was that Vertigo or was that just that was that was just DC, just DC. Yep. Yeah. So so Ennis is more or less like kind of comes to the awareness of the American comics market. And amusingly enough, in some ways, vice versa. So in things like his uh, his Hitman book, which I quite liked, and Preacher and things, and, you know, he's cranking out a lot of miniseries. And he's also doing promotion, going to cons. And one of the things that's great is Ennis has nothing but befuddlement and thinly disguised contempt for American superhero market... Um, contortions he is i think <laughs> for the most I, part i really hope you're going where i think you're going with this uh, i we'll see we'll see i might i might stick this i might not um so one of the things for the most part i think he was genuinely you know in his way pretty candid both about that but also saying like this is not what i grew up with this is not my thing it just doesn't doesn't appeal to me to die. i don't really get it you know and so ennis in his way was sort of presented himself in the american marketplace as kind of I don't want to say the anti-fanboy, which is part of what makes seeing him on Dread early so amusing, but also kind of in a weird, like, I just don't get it. You know, I don't, I don't understand what you're doing here. So the thing that is so great about, for me, about Judge Dread Helter Skelter is it's Ennis doing a 10-part Dread story that absolutely 100% steals lifts and riffs off of american superhero comic book uh mega events like mm -hmm. no one's business yeah it it's is shocking isn't it it's a multiverse story of all shame facedly a judge dread multiverse story in 2001 that just um honestly kind of you know again it it shamefully steals so many of those kinds of moments in a way that is hilarious for me to see someone like Ennis more or less be the first person to do it so baldly in Dread. Like, you see various variations. Uh, people may remember Graham was not thrilled with that uh, John Smith Judge Dread zombie story from several years back that I actually quite liked in part. You loved I, it. Yeah. Yeah. In part, because I thought that the fan service in it, which was copious was, was part of the thematic underpinning. Um, that holds nothing to Helter Skelter, which just as well may be called crisis on infinite dread. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm sure that I'm sure that Ennis, if he had been arsed, if he'd been Mark Miller, he might've gone for it, but He's not, um, but it's amazing watching. For people who might care about this sort of thing, it's not the sort of deal that I go into. It turns out uh, it, it, it has a super dramatic uh, opening 
um, with, uh, I wish I could remember the woman's name. Oh, Darian Kenzie, I think, uh, on the run from a phalanx of judges. And she has worked for the city for a long time in a super secret scientific lab that um, is more or less busted up by alien invaders and then those alien invaders are busted up by the judges who then proceed to gun everyone else down she's off running off for her life but just as she is cornered by a bunch of judges who are ready to execute her um they themselves are executed by dread who literally rips off the terminator in his full page it's yeah. amazing in the reveal isn't it take yeah. my hand if you want to live yep he says on the motorbike I mean, Garth. Yeah. Garth. Well, and, you know, for me, how do I put it? On the one hand, considering... Hmm, it's... I mean, at least it's fun. You know what I mean? I, I think there's a lot of Ennis's stuff where... I mean, again, this is exactly the sort of in joke in the middle of the launching of a mega event that relies heavily on deep, deep cuts from continuity that, you know, Ennis would all but roll his eyes at a convention table while discussing. So seeing him engage in it is sort of fun, but I mean, but not just for me in a, in a totally, oh, ha ha ha, you've certainly shown yourself up, Mr. Cad. But more of a, just like, in a way, I think that Ennis has relaxed enough with Dread that even though, or in part because he's going with Dread's greatest hits, he's willing to dip into an amount of cheese and it more or less is a little less um uh, a little less uptight than his other stuff you know admittedly dread here has a lot of as you always do in an ennis dread story he is the baddest of the bad and look how tough he is and he's tougher than anyone else could ever imagine and everyone else is fixated on bringing him down just because no one has the right to be so tough and and unstoppable as dread um but on the flip side of it um there's a lot of goofy stuff like ennis tries to ring a certain amount of melancholy of an idea of a a, essentially a multiverse melting down and colliding um even if it that is by virtue of um you know quoting the last dialogue balloon from the conclusion of Mach 1, for example. Uh, but, uh, so yeah, all the other dimensions where Dread was beaten by his classic baddies, where he lost and was defeated, um, they have come to this universe ostensibly to create the Helter Skelter, the meltdown of all the m- multiverses that happens when the dimensional portal that Darian Kenzie has been working on and is in fact the mastermind who's the only one who can really control the process enough to the destructive ends that uh, Dredd's uh, rogues gallery wants to um, bring about. Uh Wow, I think I lost the end of my sentence there. It was so clean at the beginning, and then I just threw it. This is why I don't do exposition. Well, I was going to say, it also somewhat fits the story. Mm-hmm. Like, this is very much a don't ask, just buy it. Type very thing. much so. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
And and like I said, I kind of liked it for that, especially like all of a sudden this the the secret villain behind the scenes um more or less forces a dramatic art change which kind of sucks but up until that point <laughs> it is the secret villain deadlines no 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 the secret <laughs> villain is carlos escara's house um yeah. which is for those who like graham is like graham thought i was being clever until he until he knew what I was actually doing. For people who read Throw Power Overload, part of the problem, Escara was supposed to do the whole thing uh, and unfortunately had just bought a house that in the that more or less began falling apart on him at every possible turn. So Escara is like struggling to not only get his pages out, but at the same time is apparently dealing with collapsing ceilings and rotting floors and all the stuff that is a, a recent homeowner, I have to say, I really feel for us. You're like, you're like, I understand. Yeah, exactly. I'm like that bastardly house. Um, however, uh, I do think that even before Escara disappears and the other artist steps in, um, the other yeah. artist we should say is Henry Flint. Thank you. Um, and I have to say, Flint's work sort of comes and goes for me in terms of quality here. Like, there's bits and pieces. It's funny that you say it's Flint, because there's parts where I was like, oh, wait, like, looking at Dread, I'm like, oh, wait, I like this artist. And then I would see another page and be like, oh, no, no, I don't like this artist at all. <laughs> so I, I, like, I like Flint's art a lot, but I don't think his color, the colors are particularly good on him here. Yeah. Yeah, and then it switches back back to Escara. So honestly, it 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 all feels a little bit compromised by the time that it gets to the end. I'm, yes, yes, I I I see what you're saying, but it's fair to like this is a, this is very much fan service and fanboyish in its nature, mm -hmm. and so like the idea of that it's compromised. It's like, it was compromised as soon as they had the double-page spread of the, the scientists going, do you know how many words we discovered? At least 2,000. That like, was all great, the other wasn't it? Like, I oh, was like... I think that's horrible. Like, I, I cringe. I laughed. I laughed like an only an American fanboy can laugh at a it's British so, fanboy. Yeah, it, it's so terrible. It like, was, yeah. so poorly done. Shameless. Just shameless. Yeah, so, I mean, so, but for me, how do I feel? Like, as someone who, again, is kind of used to Ennis's um, predilection for, like, tough men, you know, fighting and grappling and stabbing other tough men, and they're proved how tough they are by, like, innocence being, like, at risk and or tortured, but only saved because the only one who can save us is the biggest bastard who's aware that non-bastards have the right to actually carry on society and there's really no place for the big bastards except to punch and shoot and stab and gouge and then, you know, maybe make out with just a little bit and then not call or text again other big bastards. I just I find it 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 was it was kind of nice to have a lark and a lark <laughs> that was drawn by Carlos Escara for a chunk of it. So I see I like larks. Mm -hmm. I don't think this. I don't even think there's a lark here. <laughs> it's it's the it's the weirdest thing where like 
I feel like it is all build up and no, like there, there's nothing to it eventually. Yeah, no, it like, is you, true. You get yeah. you get all the villains. You know, he and yeah. spends a shocking amount of time going, and here's this villain, and here's yep. this villain. Oh, look, it's Cal, but it's not just Cal. It's all the Angel gang, because they're alive in this reality. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's also, like, the, the pirate from the Black Atlantic storyline. Yep. Shit! It's also Rico. You know, and then, you know, here's a reality, and it's all the 2080 characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then literally does nothing with it. No, it's like, totally true. It's all the yep. villains, and in mm-hmm. the space of, like, five pages, is beaten up by them. And then wins. It's true. Like, it, it's it's there's literally no story. Ennis spends more time introducing the villains, or at least as much time introducing them as Dread does dispatching them, which is and he doesn't even dispatch them in an entertaining way. Mm, but Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. like here's here's the Fink. He's chokes on his rats. I thought that part was clever. Really. Yeah. And like Rico getting stabbed in the the head by the judge badge. No, that like, was super it, dumb. <laughs> it's just like, what the living shit? It's it's <laughs> it's really it 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 is. It feels very much like you know the fanboyishness overtaking any sort of like concept of story. Well, I do have to say that this is the problem: is that, um. I sort of feel I sort of feel like Ennis more or less like signed on, started writing the story and rechecked the contract and was like, Oh, oh I don't have to write a hundred episodes. It's ten episodes. Okay, well I'm on eight now, so I'll just wrap this up in two and I'm done. Cause it really does lay out that idea of like we're you know, you could you know, you could have more than just a DR and Quinch cameo, a single panel DR and Quinch cameo. That I did cringe at. I will say that was absolutely you terrible and the poorly double executed. Page spread of all the 2008 characters who literally play no part in the story. I was laughing too hard, Graham. I couldn't cringe. I what can I say? Like I would just it's great. I don't I know. Mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I've got to admit. I kind of love how, and I I'd love Ascara, as you know. I love how phoned in that double page spread. <laughs> it, there's parts of it where I was like, "Wow, they actually got Rob Liefeld to do a double page spread for 2018." I mean, it's choices were made. There, Cho- and, choices and were made, and the the choice was made to prop up the ceiling to prevent it from killing Carlos Escara. Yeah, no, I no, support the, yeah, him. the choice was made of how quickly can we get through this double page spread? Yeah, it's, totally. Yeah, it's just a fucking. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm glad you like it, and yet, I think Helter Skelter is genuinely atrocious. <laughs> Genuinely atrocious. Well, if if I may break out a variation of the Macmillan defense, Please. I'm like, I didn't say that it was good, Graham. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. I'm glad you like it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But. Yeah. Yep. But oh boy. But oh boy. I know, right? Also, we should point out the end of Helter Skelter is maybe the fun wankiest thing that Garth Ennis has ever done with Judge Dredd. And that's got a lot of of competition. Let's be mm. perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. Oh, I saw him on the vid in charge of judges putting down a block war, snarling at some terrified reporter, but not for real. Like on that morning when I watched him go, 
I got a last glimpse as the lawmaster sped between a pair of mopads taking the super fast to Justice Central. Then he was gone in the ruined chaos of the Meg. And after that, I never heard from him again. And then it's attributed to the character, yeah. Darby Kenzie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. Building shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? What the fuck? I I love that because I know what he was going for, and then he's like, "Oh right, I can't really say that." Yeah, of course you would see dread again because it's not like he dies. Oh, but I know. I'll do it like this. He didn't. She never really, really saw him again. Because you know what I mean. Like it's just that classic dread. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like it was, I. Th- yeah. No. That 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 flopped in the whole it's, like. Oh, it's, yeah. It's so much flop. There's so much flop. To Helter Skelter, to the point where it's a flop. <laughs> Actually, what I love about that ending is I'm like, oh shit, is Helter Skelter what we just read? A letter from a Democrat? Ah! Oh god, Subway and Carthenis is like, finally someone gets Someone! It. Finally! Thank god! It's that asshole Jeff Lester, but uh, oh well. You know, you can't pick him and choose him. It's um, so bad. It's so bad. If if Helter Skelter performs one thing for this book, it's that everything seems better as a result. Mm. Apart from the fucking Alan Grant story <laughs> of Judge Dredd gets high, only joking he's still Judge Dredd, which in maybe genuinely the worst Judge Dredd story that's ever been done. Yeah, it was really bad. Although... Well, I wasn't crazy about terrorist, but at least it was a complete story. Yeah, although, and uh, you what, know what? What is that? It's called Leaves of Grass. Is Le- of course it is. Grass. Uh, and Leaves of Grass, uh, script by Alan Grant, artist Richard Elson, is, in all seriousness, maybe the first Judge Red story that's ever been done. Yeah, that was... It's that... shockingly bad, yeah. which is a shame, because I think this book overall is actually pretty good. Yeah. But Leaves of Grass is, I mean... Holy shit. And you know what, Graham? I have to tell you something that actually, um, on the one hand, yes, Leaves of Grass, arguably the worst Judge Dredd story, and the thing that is that you will absolutely it's, dead it's heartedly story disagree where, where, with me. Where Dredd gets high. It gets high. the villain's called Spliffy. Yeah. <laughs> it squanders I mean, its on. potential, is what I'm going to say This mega-stung spread gonna... pure for more than 100 generations. It would affect Grunt himself. Hey, Dredd, why did the lawyer cross the rose? Because he's already double-crossed it. And then Dredd laughs because he's stoned. Do you get it? But he's not really stoned. I may be stoned creep, but I'm not stupid, he Well, said. see, there you go. I mean, there's a whole part where you're just like, what? Now, the thing that I thought was interesting about Leaves of Grass, and, and like I said, you're going to perhaps violently disagree with me, is there's a lot of squandered potential there, um, (laughs) which is because, and I don't mean just the Judge Dredd thing, but I was thinking, like, as someone who grew up in Humboldt County um, and yet yet never really uh, messed with the smoke, as the kids say, until until far later into my dotage, um, I've had sort of half an eye on... The, particularly the the weird nuances of, of the marijuana market and trying to legalize it. And I think it's safe to say that if there is a real-life equivalent that 
easily fits into mega city levels of satire in terms of stupidity, greed, and incompetence. Also mixing with some sort of sad, uh, unyielding uh, enforcement of laws that only exist to, to hurt and oppress. It's the fucking marijuana market, you know, and even the move into legalization. So, you know, the story starts where it all but seems like it is going to walk the line of being one of those dread stories that is sympathetic to the the mega city one citizens in it, in the sense of you've got two characters who more or less both insist that they're in tremendous amounts of pain and medical marijuana is the mm-hmm. only thing that can help them with that pain relief. And A, that is sort of legit and you could kind of see where it's being shaped up as a kind of like, oh, these guys are oppressed. And then later you find out that, of course, and I thought this was really tied to real world events. Many people claiming that they uh, only need it for medical needs are in fact growing ridiculous amounts of it to sell for ridiculous amounts of profit and could almost be murderous if they were not so inept. Like I said, all kind of largely of a piece. It's just where it goes from there is clearly the Alan Grant countdown to how quickly can I wrap this up and get paid. So it is terrible, but I do have to say that I think that I'm probably going to try and put together a pitch for Judge Dope and Dan for the magazine or something like that, that is entirely about, well, what it would probably be about would be trying to have Mega City One um, legalize something that has been illegal for a long time, like, I don't know, sugar or something like that, and seeing essentially the ways in which the illegal black market sugar sellers feel compelled to sabotage it. Can't put up with it, yeah. Exactly. So stuff like that. So, So, yes, uh, clearly when you said we might disagree about every story in this or with a lot of the stories in the volume, you're both right and wrong in that we both seem to agree that some of these things are terrible, but I'm more interested in thinking about <laughs> them than you are. So, um, I, Also worth pointing out that Alan Grant, unless I'm entirely misremembering and I'm sure someone in the comments will correct me if I am, I'm fairly sure he was like the mover and shaker behind like a stoner comic in the UK around this time. It would not surprise me. Uh, and yet he comes up with like the laziest stoner dread story that I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like th- this, this really is just shockingly dull. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, there is potential for a story here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I would say the potential is honestly limited to the second page of the story. <laughs> no, yes. I, 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 no, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, sarcastically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like even the first page feels lazy. In yep. a way that, like, the second page doesn't. Because, mm-hmm. like you said, the second page does have the character to talk about how he's got multiple gene dysfunction. Mm-hmm. It also has a fucking breathalyzer that has umpty class A ganja and booze mm-hmm. as, as offerings, which, you know, in and of itself, for fuck's sake. But still. Yeah. But, but you know, there is there is something to that story. Arguably, there's some anxiety of someone, like, actually managing to somehow 
like kidnap Dredd and, and get him high. Yes. No, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. But, although it's it's I mean, amongst the many things that are crazy here, the idea that you can knock Dredd out by hitting him on the back of his helmet <laughs> is <laughs> kind of crazy. <laughs> helmet. And like I mean, a rat just hits him with a pipe, and he's unconscious. I, I agreed. Shot. I, I mean, the thing he's that's been ins- shot with that helmet. He's been fine. The number like, of... again. Yeah. I, you know, don't think too much about it. Yes. But, no. 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 Yeah. I mean, it's just absolutely fucking weird. And then there's the weirdest end to it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where it talks about how the smoke freezes solid in the upper atmosphere, where it will circle Meg City 1 in geosynchronous orbits, waiting patiently, implacably for a sequel. <laughs> it, it's, like, weirdly self-aware. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Like, yeah. yeah. Like I said, you know, uh, Grant's other contributions here are, are no better. Uh, terrorist, like you said, is, is a 2000 AD thing. And uh, he did the Who Killed John Lennon, which I forgot. He did, he, yeah, he yeah, did Who Killed is... John Lennon as well. Yeah. But honestly, Who Killed John Lennon is just kind of bad and dull. In mm-hmm. you know, Leaves of Grass for me is is like embarrassingly bad. <laughs> How did this see print bad? <laughs> yeah, and Army Terrorist is one of those things where like you feel like Grant is maybe not trying to make a point, but like trying to go for pathos. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. fails. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because it is the um, when Grant isn't just kind of slumming to pick up a check in a way, like something like the terrorist reads like a dread story from what ten years ago, fifteen years ago, twenty years ago. Like it somehow just doesn't have any zing to it you know and and not just in that weird um you know you and i spent a lot of time talking about the runner which is uh from the previous volume which is a a wagner story that in some respects is kind of superficially similar and has sort of some similar points it's one of those like oh but you know Dread and the judges are the baddies uh, point of view, but, you know, Wagner does a lot of very different things in ways that may not have necessarily succeeded, but at least shows you kind of, again, my feeling that Wagner's still trying to grow or refine things or do something. And, and so the fact that Grant pulls out a story that feels as if it he's had it like in his freezer behind some dodgy frozen lasagna for the, like the last 15 years uh and and breaks it out now is kind of um it's i mean it's disappointing but it's also kind of uh you're like it's not entirely surprising right exactly i think that's it it's kind of like well i guess that's kind of what you get you know like if you're if you if this if you if you take the easy money when it's time for you to kind of break out some you know exercise some other muscles that you haven't really exercised it really does end up feeling a lot less springy or 
interesting, I guess. It feels very much like um, terrorists. So the point of terrorists is, uh, I, I mean, the plot is essentially someone climbs the wall separating Cursed from Mega City One. Right. Once they get uh, in the city, they steal uh, sky surfboards. They are shot down by the judges, and it turns out they're they have lots of flyers saying "Mudies for people too." Right. Like that's that's the plot. Yeah. Um, like the runner, it feels like there is. It's a caper story that is then meant to have a poignancy mm-hmm. at the end. Mm-hmm. That there is no poignancy here, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in part because the flyer could mean could have said anything, and the story would have, would have been unaltered. Right. Well, as I recall, and it, I may be wrong, the 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 flyers are the quote unquote twist. The everything about the way the story is set is meant to buy into your ex, you know, tries to set up the expectations complete with the title that this person is a terrorist and what they're carrying is a bomb and that they're getting ready to bomb the judges. I think there's some sort of parade well, involved. Yes, there, there's a there's a, a judge, a justice department parade. OK, let's unpack this for a bit for real. OK, because uh Terrorist is kind of like really unsettling to me, and not for the reasons that they want it to be. Okay. Terrorist is happening is published uh, like three months after nine eleven. Right. Um, and like you said, the character is clearly positioned as a terrorist mm-hmm. to the point where the coloring is unclear at the best of times. Mm-hmm. But they certainly seem to be brown, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the narration of, of the "quote unquote" terrorists is um, problematic to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, the "I don't want to die, but what's my choice?" Go back to the cave reference mm-hmm. feels like racist as shit, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, in the there, especially because that is also the panel where they, you know, if you're reading this as they are a terrorist, as basically the story instructs you to do from the title. Yes, they're flying with a suspicious package towards the climax of the story slash their target. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. It really does feel low-key racist to me. <laughs> it feels like someone who thinks they're making a point about tolerance. Mm-hmm. While also showing their ass about how intolerant they actually are. Not, well, not, that's right. not true. Not how intolerant they are, but of all the, their own prejudices. Yes, right. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Yep. You know? Um and and so the 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 like, oh it's not a bomb, it was flyers saying mutes are people too. It's just I don't know. Not only not poignant, but feels almost tacky. Well, I, I mean, yeah. And also, I, I, sh- I should point out that um, I said the colouring made them seem brown. Up until the very last panel, where you see their hand as uh, Dread drives away, and he's white. There's there's some weird shit happening um, yeah. in the, the making of terrorist exclamation point. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's a really odd story. It's, it's I would say terrorist and the one that follows, uh, Born Under a Bad Sign, are the two that feel... 
um, post 9-11 in a way that nothing else in this book does. Hmm. Even though, you know, the majority of it's actually published after 9-11. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Terrorist very much does. I, I didn't catch that about Born Under a Bad Sign or Star. Born, so Born, Under, Born Under a Bad Sign uh, is mostly gets it for me because it feels like it is uh, um, we all need to be a little bit kinder to each other's story. Yeah, it honestly, it's funny you say 9-11. I'm like, it's one of those stories that feels post or at least um, contextualized by the wire. It's It sort of feels like somebody was sort of in a much better way than the uh, odd Sopranos pastiche story in here. Um, somebody was like, yeah, I want to do a story about, you know, Essentially, someone hooked on, uh, uh, you know, I thought it w- there were a lot of choices. And one of the choices is this is a story about someone hooked on heroin whose baby is hooked on heroin about dread going and trying to track down the the mother of a heroin addicted baby. And the way everything turns out a little bit more differently than you would expect. Um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Right, and so uh, I'm curious. When did the wire start? I also the wire was later than that. No, it it because honestly, I think maybe I'm wrong. I don't. The wire started 2002. Huh? Okay. Well, then maybe they were super on their uh, on the on the thumb of the had their thumb on the pulse. But I'm probably wrong then. Uh, I mean, this this story was published six months before the wire started. So yeah. Oh, okay. Then there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Graham, for genuine. Did I say the wire? I meant the corner. So put like, that in I, a pipe I, and smoke I it. The wire? I meant yeah. homicide life in the street. Exactly. Exactly. Did I? Did I mean? Did I say Hill? Did I say that? I meant <laughs> Hill Street Blues. No, that was the pit. Um, that was the yeah right. So, but, um, but no, I did, but. They feel, I think, and I think you're right. I don't I think the terrorist is the most directly yes. 9/11? And honestly, right. the terrorist could have been published could have been published before 9/11. Right, like it's not uh, necessarily directly referencing it. I think I'm reading into it. But one of the things I was conscious of looking at the time frame of these stories being published was basically like, are we going to get a shift in dread? Right. Not so much in the wake of the nine eleven attacks as much as in the wake of the 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 pushback to that. Yeah. The in right. the wave of you know the 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 response to nine eleven. Mm-hmm. And and we really don't in this book. Mm-hmm. I don't think. I think terrorist comes closest. Um I was that said, I'm curious what you think of my favorite story in the book. Which is bad manners? Oh, um, I do like bad manners, and I think that bad manners is kind of a. There was a few points where I kind of had a, wow, this is just too depressing. Um, but, I thought bad manners is like merciless in in a, such a great way. Yes, I think I think so too. I think it was just at that point where at the end of kind of a long bad week, I'm like. Oh, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know, but no. So, it's, so for it's people, brilliant. Yeah, for people who are not reading along with us, Bad Manners is a one-off. It's not. There are sequel stories to it, but but in this context, it's a one-off. Right. 
And the plot is essentially there's a bad judge who uh, murders the one citizen who has seen him do something shitty and shady and illegal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also manages to frame him as a drug dealer in the process. And Dredd is involved, and Dredd, like, just doesn't notice. And the closing narration of the story is so matter-of-fact about that that it's it was, for me at least, like, genuinely... Unsettling is a bit strong, but but it's bracing. Oh, it is. The end of the story is well, because I think if you don't, if you don't mind me cutting in and sort of recontextualizing it, I think the part that is um, part of what makes Bad Manners um, brilliant and so brutal is you've got a teenager who essentially sees a judge, um, you know, bashing about another teenager, and then the judge more or less tracks him down. And and beats the crap out of him, you know, saying, like, I know you were going to see something. I thought you, you sure thought you were going to be clever and say something. Well, this, you know, and he was like, no, I wasn't. And he's like, well, goddamn right you're not. And then beats the crap out of him. And then more or less, the teenager is like, you know what? I am going to say something about it. And I'm going to reach out to Judge Dredd because he's like the city's top lawman and he's going to change this and make it right and his parents are you know more or less like whatever you did you deserved it don't do anything don't say anything it's part of what i sort of like and what was brutal about bad manners and is that when you and i were talking and sort of disagreeing somewhat vociferously about uh the runner from previous volume is that it's a story about uh a, a runner trying to make his best time jo- running through the streets of Mega City One, who ends up drawing the attention of the judges who kill him for no other reason than he was running and therefore he was guilty. And because the runner is black, um, and for those who missed the podcast, Graham and I spent a lot of time trying to talk about like whether that was uh, a deliberate choice uh, on the art, wonderful artist Duncan Figueroa's art uh, choice, whether it was Wagner had included that in the script or how it was. My big stinking point was that it kind of broke the reality of this, of the judge's world in a way, because, you know, essentially there's a lot of things in America that black people more or less know not to do. And the idea that this guy was so oblivious that um, and never gave it a second thought and then died, I thought was kind of like, all of which is to say one of the things that's great about Bad Manners to me is the fact that this story has everyone telling the teenager, just keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything about it. Just try and forget it. Don't look at it. And he's like, these people are all scared. Like these people are just beaten down cowards. Like, I'm going to talk to Judge Dredd, he's the hero, and he's going to set it right. And of course, Judge Dredd is a hero. We have seen Judge Dredd set things right. And we also know that he does not actually tolerate the sort of stuff that Manners does. So the fact that Manners more or less frames the teenager, has him killed, and then more or less, like, 
proves everyone else right strikes me as um like again brilliant brutal and a lot of what i thought was missing from the runner very much the idea of how people do behave when they're trapped under an oppressive authority is you don't you stop you stop looking for the good ones you stop believing in the good ones you don't even if they're there you don't want to risk losing everything that you have because the good ones may not be paying attention they don't necessarily want to believe the narrative that you're trying to tell and also you know that uh that those other people will fuck you up you know yeah yeah um the, the closing narration of Bad Manners is yes. maybe if Dredd had worked the sector a little longer, he might have heard some things, might have had reason to be a little suspicious. Maybe not. Guy like Manners, he's adept at covering up his successes. He's had a lot of practice, which is like, again, factual and yet brutal in a way that honestly Dredd rarely is. Yeah. Yep. It is very matter of fact. It is very, you know what? Things are shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And bad people get away with shit. Yeah. Yep. And it's it's wonderful. It's it's mm-hmm. wonderful. I I I know that there are further manner stories, which you know honestly makes me think that at some point he's going to get caught, right? Right. Um, but I almost wish there weren't. No. Right. Because and, there's right. something so great about this just being like ten pages of genuinely just you know. Brutal, nihilistic. Oh, that's right. Life in Mega City One is terrible. Yeah, life in Mega City One in this system is not funny for most people. Mm-hmm. It is brutal and it is merciless. And if you step out of line, you will pay for it. Well, yeah. If you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, which is one of my sadly one of my favorite go tos for stories, like. Just and, because, yeah, and, and, and again, that's exactly what happens here. This mm-hmm. kid is literally going home when mm-hmm. he sees Judge Manners beat up someone. Mm-hmm. Like he just, he just happens to be walking past the or uh, like surfing past the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, he doesn't actually do anything with it before he gets attacked for the first time, anyway. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. just, it's so, it's so good, mm-hmm. and it's, and I'd say the art from john burns is, is oh is fabulous yeah per and perfectly perfectly suited i think in a way like burns is uh has a few other stories here and for whatever reason i feel like the last couple of volumes kind of ends up being thrown on the the sleazier seedier um yeah, stories yeah. and it really it really pays off here I think. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's really good. But the reason I was going to bring it up is also, it's, I don't think it is in any way influenced by 9-11. Mm. But I like, I love the fact that, uh, I feel like it sort of sums up the, the counterweight mm-hmm. to the odd zealotry that was happening around that time. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of like, you know, we must all come together and we must trust in the authorities because they will do the right thing. Right. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And then you have this yeah. theory, which is like, no, people mm-hmm. are power bastards and they will right. fuck you over. Yeah. Yeah. And they might not even mean to fuck you over. Like Dread, Dread is almost passive in this mm-hmm. because he just doesn't know any better, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's so, it is genuinely dark in a way that Dread 
I just isn't normally. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Which is part of why I bring it, again, compared it to The Runner, in that it had a similar kind of rough slap in the face. Uh, yeah, yeah. But but I think it it really, really earned it here, and and it paid off so well. So and yeah. again, like so much of this, someone in in the comments of the last episodes uh, referred to what we were reading through in the fact that we've talked about how you know everything's of a good enough quality, but there's nothing that really stands out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they refer to it as the golden rut. <laughs> yes, yeah, and and you know this is I think to that point uh, I would say it feels like a superior volume to the last couple. I, I even with Elder Scales or even with the, the shitty Alan Grant stories, mm-hmm. I I find myself enjoying much more of this volume to a greater degree. I think, mm-hmm. um, but it is you know for the most part you know Golden Rut ish, mm-hmm. um, and then you get hit Bad Manners and Bad Manners just like fucking hits you in the gut. Right, right. Well, yeah, which I kind of feel like. Um, hmm, how do I, feel? I? I I sort of feel like it used to be when we. We're doing these, you know, we hit kind of that bad period where stuff was more bad than good, but you could always sort of count on Wagner sort of showing up and kind of you'd have a little bit of the quote-unquote magic back. Um, And, yeah, I think it is very satisfying that that Wagner gets to craft um, this story. This story feels kind of of a piece with the sort of stuff that he's, you know, um, like America, I think a little bit, you know, in terms yeah. of where he, or, where or, he's or going or to Democrat or revolution. Yeah. Like Very it, much it feels, so. it feels like every now and again, Wagner sort of wants to remind people. Yeah, like you know, it's all fun and games until it's not. And by the way, here's the not. Yeah, and and, yeah. and and you know, so much of this volume again is, if not comedy strips, then light strips, right? Yeah, right. Also. also so much of this is not Wagner this time around. Yeah, there's a there's a good you know, chunk there, that's not. Gordon Rennie does a chunk of stuff in this book. Yeah, and I yeah. know that you, I know that last time Robbie Morrison provided your favorite stories in it. Robbie yeah. Morrison only appears like a couple of times here, and mm-hmm. I think Robbie Morrison's stories are actually kind of weak here. I thought so too. Yeah, yeah. Born under a bad time we've already discussed, but cheating Drockers is, I mean, a, a fairly generic bland yeah. you know television personality dread story yeah with with like like oh hey here's how i'm working in my sopranos pastiche you know kind of thing. you know it's yeah it, it, it felt surprisingly uh yeah. you know generic mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. whereas I, I think rennie actually is relatively strong here stronger than he was last time Stronger than he was last time, uh, yeah, definitely. Although it helps in some ways. Like, I had no patience for safe hands, and I thought it was pretty terrible and kind of fanboyish of a time. But, um, you know, Couch Potatoes was uh, of that, you know, of the, um, I guess, the fatal fad trope, I guess, yeah. is, is one of those I, I... things. There's a yeah. couple here where I actually thought they were Wagner. Yeah, exactly. I thought I thought the student prince was Wagner and I thought Asylum was Wagner. I did too, actually. Uh, except you know, except I thought I thought that I 
I thought that student the student prints kind of ended so flatly. I was like, oh, that doesn't seem very Wagner. Yeah, like, I, I was kind of yeah. like, yeah, you know, and then yeah. I flipped. But those first three or four pages of it, I thought really were very Wagner-ish. So, mm-hmm. And I yeah. think Asylum is like surprisingly strong from Rainey at this point. Oh, Although I've got yes. to admit, Asylum kind of cheats because Fraser Irving's art for it is fucking amazing. Fucking gorgeous, isn't it? Like, See, Fra- yeah. Fraser Irving's art for Asylum is, yeah. is just so so beautiful just that, that honestly gorgeous. even though it's it's uh you know oh supernatural ooh metaphor i didn't give a shit almost because <laughs> like, look at the art look at the way yeah. he draws dread's helmet jesus yeah. christ look at the, the way he's designing these pages i mean this is it i honestly think that this volume like you said like it's golden rut ish but part of what kind of helps elevate it for me is I think the art is mostly really strong. Like you've got a lot of Burns and a lot of Cam Kennedy in here. You've got Escara. Then you get someone like Fraser Irving doing that. And it's just beautiful. But, you know, like the bazooka, which is... Um, Why can kind of, candy? Yeah, exactly. And so even though it's another of Wagner doing his like <laughs> pulp fatty stories. Um, it's it's I found it really enjoyable in no yeah I, I love I love the bazooka. The bazooka yeah. is surprisingly good, isn't it? I was I was I really was like, oh, this is stupid that I'm actually enjoying this this much. I it it really should be shouldn't. said like the student prince, the one we just said was Rainey, but felt like Wagner is also Cam Kennedy. Yes, exactly. I, I think that you really. Not that I think we've ever not appreciated Kennedy, right? But in this volume in particular, you realize Kennedy can sell moments in a way mm-hmm. that other artists can't. I mean, just no. honestly, I, like... especially comedy moments. Yeah, Ken- right. Kennedy can do comedy. Like honestly, you know, you and I are second to none in our love for Escara, but mm-hmm. Escara couldn't have done either of those stories. Ah, uh, no, I don't. I I agree. Uh, I I think you, that... know, you, need, you needed a Kennedy. You needed someone yeah. who can do something that is cartoonish, and yet somehow cartoonishly ugly in a way that you believe it. Yeah, I you know I think that's part of it. Like there's a lot of like the early volumes of the Case Files uh, that I didn't like, sort of post post Wagner Grant and practically post Wagner. Like they got a lot of guys who were doing kind of the waka waka shtick. And you still kind of see that in like, for example, if the student prints had been drawn by Richard Elson instead of camp Kennedy, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have liked it at all. You know what I mean? Like I, Adrian Bamforth, uh, had an interesting style for, Oh, from married with Jews? Yeah. yeah, married with Jews, which sort of helped that it kind of because it's a super cutesy story, and he doesn't go super cutesy with it, at least not in that sort of you know big eyes, comical faces. Oh, who's the one the who killed John Lennon? Uh, Paul Marshall's art on that is is very waka waka. You yes, know. and and you know, I mean, that story in so many ways is uh, it's not good, <laughs> right? Shall we say? Yeah. But you're right. Like Paul Marshall is the wrong artist for that. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't 
he doesn't help ground it in a way that that story would need. Right. But I could see someone being, and back in the day, I feel there might have, the editorial might have ran more this way of like, oh, student prints. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a piss up. Let's, you know, let's put Paul Marshall on it. He does googly eyes, you know, and it's just like, one of the things that is great with Kennedy is his art. I think part of what it works is it's so stylized. His straight stuff is stylized and therefore his comic stuff um, really, I think, works because it's just a different form of stylization. And yeah, like he you gets said, to go broad in a way that like, you almost don't notice because like exactly. you said, his straight stuff is so stylized. Exactly. Like even just the character designs. He... Kennedy, Kennedy gets to make the fatties believable mm-hmm. because the idea that you have people who are basically just like balls with arms and legs, mm-hmm. I believe that mm-hmm. because, you know, Dredd at this point is basically a stick man mm-hmm. in Kennedy's art. Right, exactly. You know, and so he's abstracted everyone. There's a great panel in in uh, in the fatty story where... Dred's arresting a guy. Like, they mm-hmm. call in the radio or something, and Dred's arresting a guy, and he's holding the dude up against a wall. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's a profile shot, and Dred is comically skinny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, he's stupidly skinny. Yeah. Yeah. But, and like, and like the badge is hanging off of him, the badge is basically like the size <laughs> of Dred's head in that <laughs> shot. <laughs> uh, but, because you have that level of abstraction and caricature on dread, yeah, the fatties, sure, you just believe them, right? Why not like the idea that I like a kid can can detach his jaw and eat anything, including a small man at some point. <laughs> in that story. Right. Yeah, no, he sells it. He Just absolutely it. sells it. Yeah, no, totally. Which is Nobody great. Else could make that work. I like. Yeah. The artist has to make that work because there's literally a scene where the kid then detaches jaw and the old man crawls out of his mouth completely fine. Yeah. No, I mean, it's not just a scene. It's the big action set piece. Like, it's kind of the, this is the clever plan that's going to save the day. Um, yeah. Uh, there's, I mean, two things I want to point out about about the art in in the bazooka is a judge dread looks in many cases like he's being drawn by mort drucker uh from mad magazine (laughs) and i mean that as a compliment but it is astounding the way that they do he does weird things with his like giving dread like skinny old man jowls that is just so drucker-esque and two i don't think that this is what anyone would imagine like if you if you said to somebody this is as close as you're going to get to Frank Miller drawing Judge Dredd, um, people are going to go with a completely different direction than that. But it's funny how much of this stuff actually really does remind me of Judge Dredd. Like, uh, what's his name? It's it's, um, it's Kennedy drawing like Miller of Dark Knight Strikes Again era. Yeah, yeah, very, very much so. Well, but yeah, but absolutely, even the stuff that you can see, yeah, the 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 tough coach, you know, mm-hmm. is such the coach Gimp is such um Miller drawing that Miller was doing like practically 
back in Sin City in terms of like, here's a, here's a, you know, here's a palooka, you know, um, but it's, yeah, it's just all that. Or if you like ever see like when Miller does like weird work for like Marvel team up annuals or things where you just realize <laughs> like nobody really knows what to do with him and he's not really quite on model when it comes to drawing anyone else without you know without it being super stylized like it's just odd um so yeah i i'm glad i was actually really um wondering how badly you were going to roast me when i said that i liked the bazooka so oh no the bazooka's one of my like i I, in my list of favorite stories Mm -hmm. uh, good. like i have bad manners and an exclamation point because that's how much i fucking loved it um and then just in the order they appear on the judges chief judge's service which i know you'll disagree with me the student prince the bazooka and asylum (laughs) like those those are my those are my five favorite stories from the the book yeah yeah like the bazooka is definitely up there you know, the Chief Judge's Service is, I would argue, the better of the two stories of the, mm-hmm. the Chief Judge's Man. Uh, yes. In large part because I think Colin McNeil sells the shit out of it. Agreed. Agreed. You and I um, are actually on the same page on that. I liked On the Chief Judge's Service. I also liked the the twist at the end worked for me as well, which I liked. Yeah, right. I, I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, again, for people who are not reading along, the, the twist at the end is they catch him, but that was always the plan. He wanted yeah. to go to jail because he wanted to kill a particular person who was incarcerated. Yeah. But also, the judge behind it all is, has not been caught yet. Mm-hmm. No, it, it, it's really, it's a incredibly well-crafted story, I think, from Wagner in that it puts all these little steps and pieces. You know the setup from the previous chief judge's story, which is essentially that um, the the guy who believes that he is chief uh, Judge Hershey's um, personal private executioner to um, help the judges. Uh, he himself does not know he's being manipulated by another judge uh, who is um, impersonating Hershey. And so the whole thing looks as if it is going to lead to the uncovering of the whole plot. And then when you think like, oh no, it's going to be one of those stories where the ultimate baddie sort of gets away to fight another day. And then you find out, oh no, he actually won. And you didn't know that. And it's just very well constructed by Wagner. And what's great is there are bits and pieces where he alludes to like, oh, this is all going to plan while like, you know, the, the assassin is like scrambling through a construction site and dreads leaping after him. And you're like, this looks like the whole thing is going wrong. What is he talking about? So the construction is great, but Colin McNeil does, like you said, just a fucking fabulous job with it. And that's kind of what I was saying. This is like, these stories really are, are like you said, sort of golden ruddish, but then you get just really... You get the right artists. Yeah. You know, like, so, so yeah. for example, Chief Judge's Man... Arguably, it's not true. I was going to say arguably, it's on the same writing level as the original mm-hmm. in the story, and that's that's not true. I think this one is actually better written. Mm-hmm. I think there's enough of a twist in the tale to actually make it there. But McNeil is so much better for this material than Mill Simpson is. Yeah, that oh. it feels like, it feels like a totally different thing. Yeah, profoundly so. Profoundly so. Yeah. Um, in, yeah. In ways that are are just, and it's it's very small things. I think. 
mm-hmm. that McNeil just gets right. It's not just that his color work is great. Oh God, McNeil's use of color is so glorious. It's uh, just um, astounding it, in this. Yeah, it's very much not naturalistic, mm-hmm. uh, but it's you know there. It, if nothing else, the the very final. I think it's the final image, if not the final scene, mm-hmm. of uh, of the chief judge's man in jail. It actually mm-hmm. in a cell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, you have you have Magru- uh, not Magruder, you have Hershey on one side and you mm-hmm. have the actual man manipulating him on the other but both of them are ghost images placed above cracks in the floor to allow light in mm-hmm. which is such a subtle piece of framing mm-hmm. but you know draws the eye towards those characters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know it's just really fucking well done work. It's 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 thoughtful in a way that again, Will Simpson just isn't. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. It's just there's so much talent that's there in it. It's going to be interesting. It, one of the things that actually reminds me of in this, I apologize because it is absolutely great, and Colin McNeil is great, and it stands out on its own end. It reminds me weirdly a lot of um, Richard Corbin, you know, like there's a strong Corbin's heavy metal work, which has sort of a similar, um, just a great use of color, but also kind of like weird sort of soft pastels and then, but like really kind of like overly delineated dramatically, physically, anatomically correct characters with, like, faces that run the gamut from, like, cartoony to, you know, illustrative, you know? Like, mm-hmm. just really great. Again, it's 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 sort of... I mean it as praise for both artists who I like a lot, um, and I don't think that it's a very deliberate thing. One of the things that I, I actually love in, in it that McNeil does is there are times where the characters I find myself being like, Oh wait, is he basing that on this actor? Or like at one point the, the chief judge's man gets a face change and more or less is running around, you know, with kind of a gaunt older face and a mustache. And I'm kind of like, he looks pretty Lee Van Cleefy in places, but what's wonderful about it is it's um it's not that kind of greg land uh carlos uh who's the who am i thinking of the marvel artist who just photo references the shit out of stuff um, salvador Loroca. Salvador yeah it's not the salvador Loroca. it's like a much more subtle undercurrent to it that just really is great. Yeah, no, the the art on, on it is just fabulous. Oh, yeah, the, the color studies alone, just re-flipping through it. I'm like, yeah, this whole scene is set in, like, shades of blue, and yet it totally works, you know, for the various levels of flashbacks and understanding who's having the flashback and more or less when it's taking place and stuff. Just phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, there's... It's... But you're, yeah. you're right. Like, the art is... Uh, on almost every level in this volume mm-hmm. is a level up from what we've seen, and it's not just that we don't have Siku, who comes back, by the way. Like we have more Siku in the future. Oh man! But you know, but it's you know, even when you've got someone like Greg Staples, mm-hmm. who I think is the closest to doing like the the 
the painterly, you know, approach that we've we've seen in in, in recent mm-hmm. volumes. Like, I, it's clearer and it's better. Again, I've got problems with the computer coloring of Chris, Chris Blythe mm. through mm-hmm. almost every strip that he colors, which is mm-hmm. you know ironic because he's he's still working in 2018 now, and I think his color work now is great. But um, but I. Visually, I think this book is is significantly better than we've seen for a while. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Greg Staples' work on Slick on the Job is fucking beautiful. Yeah, I thought that was great. No, there's just it's all yeah. I think everyone's doing a cut above. There's 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 very little jock, which works for me. So yeah, no, I'm <laughs> jock. It does you know we we've we've complained about jock's work here before and. and Jock does disappoint, for want of a better way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's you know, I, just I, I, not my jam. I genuinely do think that Jock's interior work, Jock, Jock's sequential work, is just is not there, or at least not there yet. Mm-hmm. It feels very much like, and it's funny, I didn't even recognize it as Jock this time. I've been said, I was like, it feels like an off-brand lesser Duncan Fregredo. Right. Yeah, I totally get it. I totally get that you know? comparison. Yeah, yeah. But, no, it, oh, in fact, Couch Potatoes, which, um, is, like you is, said, is, is it, Robinson. It, it's Cliff Robinson, but I gotta say, he again in that weird upping his game. I was, I was kind of like, I had a thing where I was like at page two or three, there was something kind of clumsy, and I'm like, huh, Chris Weston's usually a little better than that, and then I was like, oh wait, oh shit, this is not Chris Weston. I am shocked and impressed like it felt very westony to me which i mean of course always mean as a compliment so yeah really i i really do think that for whatever reason i don't know if these if if like maybe the script to art pipeline was better queued up and people had like you know like maybe while Garth Ennis was and and Carlos Escaro were locked in Mortal Kombat with yeah, Carlos Escaro's house. house, you know, like these guys all had a good jump on delivered scripts and deadlines, so the art was just strong. Well, okay, so, so something that is happening behind the scenes that is probably worth pointing out is around this time. Around the time this book's being published, two things are happening. Rebellion's buying 2080. And right. all of a sudden, for the first time in arguably 10, 15 years, 2080 has an owner who cares about it again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And actually places a priority on it. Probably 10 years, because this is published right. 2002, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also, 2080 has a new editor. Mm-hmm. A- Andy Diggle takes over mm-hmm. from David Bishop at this point. We are now just one editor away from the person who's currently editing 2080. That's right. Yeah. Like Matt Smith was the editor after Andy Dickel. Right. Which, <laughs> Which means that he is the editor's assistant on this stuff, I think. Yes. Right? Yes. So, yeah. I feel like we're very close to the strip regaining its equilibrium. Mm-hmm. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. And I think you see it in things like Bad Manners. Honestly, I think you see it in this volume in general. We're still in the golden rut. Mm-hmm. And thank you. I can't remember who who came up with that that uh, phrase, but I should, I should look up the where is the golden rod? Yes, yeah, so right. we can give a shout uh, out to Jared. Jared yeah, Jared. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's a great phrase. It's a very good phrase, and we're still in that era, right? Mm-hmm. But 
for want of a better way of putting it, we're it feels like we're coming out of it and we're coming out of it for the better. Like the Goldenrod has been frustrating and glorious at the same time because these comics have been good. Yeah, absolutely. We had bad dread mm-hmm. for a few books at this yeah. point. Yeah. Um, but I think we're coming into more interesting work. Mm-hmm. I say this knowing that like Pat Mills comes back soon with another fucking satanist or <laughs> But, uh, you know, even with Garth Ennis in here delivering just shit, like, <laughs> this volume, I think, is, is a better volume than we've had to deal with for a while. Yeah, I think you know? so. I, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it's a more enjoyable volume. I definitely finished it much stronger. I finished it and was like, I want to fucking read volume 35 now. You know? <laughs> um, you know, I, I, th- I think that, that we are at the point where we're so, we're almost caught up. Which is so strange to me. Yeah. Almost basically at the era of dread that we're still in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, right. I don't think, I'm fairly sure that by the time we catch up with where the case files are, we're mm-hmm. still going to be at Day of Chaos, which is like the, the demarcation point for me. Mm-hmm. Where we enter into like, you know, today's dread, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but we're really close because that was like 2010. Wow. And we're at 2002. Right. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and like I said, Within two volumes, we're in the era where Matt Smith is the editor. And Matt Smith is still the editor of 2080. Very much so, yeah. So it does. It feels like, A, we've read 25 years, which is stunning. Mm -hmm. But also, it does feel like we're almost catching up with today. Yeah, you... Which is an odd thought for, for, for doing a strip that's been going on for 45 years. Yeah, yeah. Um... You know, it it is. It's it. You really feel. I think the I think the plus of the golden rut is a little bit of. Um, you know, thank God the people behind two thousand AD finally kind of figured out how to tell dread stories without without Wagner. In a way, and and you know, Wagner's still very much in the mix of this. It se- it seems a very ridiculous uh, thing to say um, uh, about during while well, reading a volume where it feels like let's say two thirds of this is Wagner, but it used to be we would read volumes where it was two thirds. Wagner and the other third was just about unreadable or even the stuff that was Wagner, the artists or the art that they had lined up was just like, you know, yeah, this, there's this quality is, this, here. Yeah, this isn't even two thirds Wagner. Like Garth Ennis has more stories in this than anyone else. Oh, I guess that's true. Right. Like he's cause that, that prog really does run for 10 parts. Um, and then, yeah, I guess I guess Wagner yeah, why, really yeah, why only, only has... does six six stories, right? But but they're I was going to say but they're long-ish. <laughs> there's two there's two extended ones and all the rest are just one-offs. Mm. Are they? Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Guess, Lost in cyberspace, which we've not even talked about, and is like a pleasant enough diversion. Sure. Uh, runs three episodes, and the bazooka runs three episodes. Right, but I guess, of course, for me, three episodes of of the magazine is much longer than three episodes. Three, yeah, of three episodes of the magazine, I think, is like closer to thirty pages. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, uh, oh, and uh, and so, yes, haven't talked about Lost in Cyberspace. Um, it's 
it's sort of uh, unremarkable classic dread. I, I normally like Ian Gibson. It Gibson, I don't think is the best match for the material there, but you know. It's not unpleasant. And, and of course, do you want to talk about, again, there's another Wagner-Cam Kennedy bonus story, uh, Bad Mother, that uh, pops up. Uh, which, again, is fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's it's called bonus story because they meant to put it in the previous volume. And, forgot. and forgot or missed it or page counts or whatever. Kind of amazing. So it's they, also... They forgot because it came from Prague 2002, I think. So at this era... Yeah. 2080 would skip its regular um, numbering mm-hmm. for its year-end issue, and they'd mm. name it the following year. So Prog 2000 was published at the end of 1999, Prog 2001, the end of uh, 2000, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, and so I think okay. literally that's why Bad uh, Mother was missed, because mm. they, were, they just like did the run-through. Mm-hmm. And then like, oh, shit, no, we had, if we had a holiday story. It's mm. because... Um, in this volume, for example, the student prints and slick and the job both come from Prog two thousand two, huh? Which which came between Prog twelve seventy two and Prog twelve seventy three. That is bonkers. Thank you for pointing out just how insane that numbering system is, because that's uh, sort of makes oh, sense. Oh, it get, gets even weirder nuts. because there are regular numbers of two thousand through two thousand ten or whenever they fit, they quit it as well. Woof. So there are, for example, two Prog two thousands. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, that that I'm aware of because of the various. Yeah, they they at least cover that in the book. But yeah, the 2001, 2002 stuff that would have totally fucking thrown me forever. Um, yeah, Bad Mother is is kind of a mix of a couple of different sort of dread tropes, you know, because it's. Uh, it's a parody of reality TV, but it's also the dread getting, um, you know, there's sort of, there's always kind of the illegal fighting ring kind of stories with dread and, and dread having to, trying to bust it up and of course becoming the center of the gladiatorial ring type thing. Like I said, it's fine. It's one of those deals where like Cam, Cam Kennedy, um, um, Cam is... does a great job. Yeah, um, the because it's basically Celebrity Big Brother slash The Weakest Link slash yeah. like Murder Trope. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. But Cam Kennedy makes it clear to the celebrities who the celebrities are meant to be. Yeah, like Juve Chef Jamie Geezer is Jamie Oliver quite clearly. Wilmer right. Fudd is William Haig, like the the Tory MP. Oh, Carl Noodleman is Carol Vorderman, like. Alan Greenfly is Alan. Shit, what is he called? Oh God, I can't remember. But he's—it's another Alan, and he's a, a British TV gardener. Like mm-hmm. all of you know, all of those things are are very, very, very clear for who they're meant to be. But again, Kennedy just sells it by being cartoony and yet somehow dynamic at the same time. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, it's weird. It's actually a much shorter story than I remember it being. That's kind of funny as I'm flipping through it. I'm like, wow, I really felt like it went on and on and on, which may not be a good thing. But yeah, it gets, uh, it gets, let's put it this way. Anytime you've got a story I mean, written by, pages. yeah, exactly. I guess that's long for a dread story, but any, any time that, that you you're reading a Wagner story and or Grant where one of the characters says, Ooh, er, like then you're like, okay, I know what I'm in for. So, 
And I feel like it delivers on that front. You're like, yeah, yeah, it does everything you want. Jeff, I've told you my favorite stories. What are yours? I would say in no particular order, uh, in fact, maybe a different order, uh, Bad Manners, the Bazooka, uh, hmm, uh, Couch Potatoes, uh, I did like Born Under a Bad Sign, weirdly enough, and I know you didn't. Um, so I think that's it. I mean, it's diminishing returns. I didn't really hate a lot of them. And frankly, unlike you, I thought Helter Skelter was a hooter scooter. Um, well, it, bless you. It's, it's not as bad as Leaves of Grass, which is easily the worst story in this volume. Oh, yeah. Flash, yeah, yeah, the worst threat story ever made. <laughs> it's, it, that's pretty. It I say is, that even who killed bad. John Lennon is really up there as well. We keep saying who killed John Lennon and. It's worth pointing out for people who haven't read along. It's John without an H and Lennon as in the Russian, not the right. Beatle, John Lennon. Yeah. But that's Although it plays at that, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's exactly. the joke. And then, yeah, I didn't, I have to say, John Burns was entirely wasted on cheating Drockers, which I really did not like. So that was it. Like, yeah, definitely, I would say if we're moving to the, the Drocker Dross. Uh, part of the program. I, I mean, it's Drock. It's Drock. It definitely is. It's a very solid Drock. Yep. I think this is a better volume than we've had for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do think that it's it's a surprisingly strong, even with, you know, two really bad stories in there. Yes. I think it's and, a and in fact, a bad story volume. with a huge pay ca- page count, too. You know? The Helter Skelter is 70. Helter like... Yeah, two pages long or something like that. It's absurdly long, um, you know. But eh, meh. yeah, no. The fact yeah, that but, the but, fact but that I, like, that's a weird thing. Halster Skelter being at the very start of the book, right, works in the book's favor. <laughs> no, it gen- genuinely does because right. honestly, it does make everything else look better, and that's not just shitting on Halster Skelter to say that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the other stuff in the book is good, again, with the exception of the Alan Grant ones. But at this point, I almost think we expect Alan Grant stories to be shit. But I think I think there's some really, really good stuff in here. And again, Bad Manners is such a gut punch. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you and I disagreed about the runner last episode, but Bad Manners is a gut punch that lands. Yes, absolutely. Wholeheartedly. And so it is... It is it is it is a distressing read in the best sense. So yeah, and so it's 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 you know, it sounds you know perverse, but it's a joy because of that. Like it, it's you know the volume is far superior for the inclusion mm-hmm. of bad manners, and honestly, for it coming that late in the book. Oh, I think so too. Because, because so it too. is it is the one that you're still thinking about when you finish. Mm-hmm. It's what the second or third last story in the book, and it, it is. is the thing you're still thinking about when you finish. Yeah. Um, so I, I I think that you know Bad Manners is honestly probably my favorite dread story that we've read for Drock in in a long time. Wow, wow! It works that well for me, mm-hmm. and it works mm-hmm. well on every level, right? Wagner's mm-hmm. Wagner just gets it right. He doesn't yes. overplay, and he doesn't like undercut it with some cheap comedy, but also Burns sells the living shit out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Burns does exactly the right thing on every single page of that story. Well, you know, agreed, 
Agreed. I also want to say the other thing that I think is fabulous about Bad Manners is that it is a story that, because of how well positioned that it is, it it does such a good job of you, like like oh I know where this is going okay but you but you really don't I suppose and I think in a volume where it's very like a lot of these stories for the most part you're kind of getting to the point where you expect it to be oh yeah okay it's the classic dread setup but here's the spin on it um, and the fact that that spin is so much more harsh than you would have expected is 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 very satisfying because it is it is it does upend dread it in a way that is like you said that totally lands whereas for me the runner just kind of pointed at it so this this well, really it, was it, it it does do the same thing as like letter from a democrat mm-hmm. right where mm-hmm. it does just like i was going to say subtly but honestly unsubtly remind you oh that's right this system is massively corrupt yeah, this is is impossibly cruel to the people mm-hmm. who have to exist within it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and honestly, yeah. I is arguably better than Letter from a Democrat in that it's also completely real, for want of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Letter from a Democrat has the remove from today's policing because, like, you know, democracy isn't outlawed here, right? You know. With yeah. it, with whatever qualifiers you really want to put in there, but mm-hmm. but bad manners could happen here, and you know, likely does. Yeah, exactly. Bad manners does happen here, and that is that. That again is, and, and there's no there's no level of remove, right? There's no yeah. shadow clause. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's it it is it's mighty powerful, um, and and. Even if the rest of the volume had been disposable, it it would be make a case for the volume being kind of a must read. But definitely, I think having a pretty high quality pitch throughout for the majority of the other material, it's just it's good. It's a good strong volume. I'm 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 really glad we read it. I have to say, yeah. Yeah, it's good. We are doing, next month we're doing volume 35, obviously. It's the one that comes after volume 34. And there's some things there that I'm I'm looking forward to. We have, I'm fairly sure, I might have my, my math wrong, but I'm fairly sure we have the 25th Dread story. 25th hmm. anniversary Dread story, I should say. Hmm. Um, we have Wagner picking up a plot point that he left actually fairly recently, but we haven't been thinking of. Interesting. I, I'm setting up things that will happen in in future volumes as well. I feel that the series is beginning to regain some semblance of motion mm-hmm. after. I mean, honestly, a few volumes of just you know, comedy strip, comedy strip, comedy strip. Yeah. So I'm 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 curious. We're we're two volumes away from uh, Dread Aliens, which I know you're looking forward to. <laughs> I was about to say I am shocked by how much you've been counting down toward this. It's kind of terrifying. Do you know why? Why? I think it's I think it's great. Like I think it's genuinely great. I think Dread Predator was kind of shit, mm. but I think Dread Aliens is great. Oh wow! Uh, and also 
but you you and I may differ in this because one of the reasons I think it's great is I think Henry Flint joint draws the living shit out of the aliens. Hmm. Hmm. I think Henry Flint is such a great artist to be drawing aliens and the fact that he's not just been doing aliens comics for years shows that everyone is short sighted. Mm. Um yeah, I think that's but that's in thirty six, I think. I think it's in volume thirty six or thirty seven. Um, no, but we're 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 also very close to like catching up with <laughs> like like the furthest the latest one that's been published is thirty eight, and right. next month we're going to be doing thirty five. Yeah, yeah, no, seriously, there's gonna so I, there's I, going I to be. I think we're going to catch up. Yeah, definitely. Which is um, kind of wacky. Yeah, think about it. Like we've been doing it for three years. Right, I, I, it, it is one of those things where uh, uh, it, it is, you just kind of keep trudging away at it, and then suddenly you look back and you're like, oh, holy shit! Like, you know, yeah. Um, Although I'm, I'm looking at the dates. Um, thirty nine comes out this month. So. Okay, so that gives us another volume and another month, yeah. and, and then, then maybe... chances are, so let's see. Yeah, this is April, and we're doing thirty four. Chances are, we'll get to forty. Because it's probably going to be a volume forty by the end of the year, right? right. But yeah, so chances are, like September, October, we're going to have caught up. Mind boggling, which is kind of nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Genuinely nuts. Um, well, do you think you should start wrapping this up then, Graham? I should. I should tell everyone there's going to be show notes for this up on Monday at waitwhatpodcast.com. Uh, in the meantime, at waitwhatpodcast is where you can find us on Twitter. Uh, Jeff is on Twitter at LazyBastid at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D and I'm on Twitter at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M and we are a Patreon supporter podcast which means Jeffrey Lester is going to talk to you right now with his dulcet tones dulcet I do love the word dulcet you guys are great um, I am so appreciative like it is mind boggling to me that uh, as Graham pointed out like we've been doing this for like three years uh and by this i mean especially drock this read through judge dread the complete case files i was somebody who i think um was uh was was kind of a dread neophyte at the start of it like i had had the digital subscription to 2000 ad and the magazine for a few years and sort of enjoyed it and was kind of like oh yeah i kind of sort of get a sense of this kind of yeah it's a thing but I have to come up with, like, some new term because I have realized that, you know, unlike Graham, who had read such a huge chunk of this material before, um, this is my first time. And yet, after reading this many thousands of pages of Dread, I can't really quite call myself a neophyte anymore. So that's uh, that's that's a shocker. And that is... Um, I have you guys to thank, not just the listeners generally for tuning in and listening to this. And again, I totally encourage everyone to check out the comments threads for these episodes over at waitwhatpodcast.com. We normally have just a handful of really great people who, who chime in um, generally, but I think especially on Drock. We've got some incredibly smart, um, sensible uh listeners who are dread fans who have a lot of really smart takes on the material um so definitely oftentimes please. smarter than us 
Oh, yes. I wish that were not true, but that is, and without exaggeration, sadly. Um, uh, I also want to give a shout out to the Patreon people, because as I was kind of generally, circuitously, as is my way, circling the point, this podcast would not exist without you guys, uh, which means that the chances of me in some other uh, drock-free universe having finished up Judge Dredd, the complete case files 34, and being like, that's pretty good, yeah, as Dredd goes, yeah, is uh, just a, a... It's it's just a, a completely different met version on the Helter Skelter that would have would have just driven me mad on the Helter Skelter, Graham. The Helter Skelter. You're trapped uh, in the Helter Skelter, Jack. Trapped in the Helter Skelter. You can just pull it apart. You know, one thing that was great about Garth Ennis's, uh thing is I was like, okay, what the fuck is the Helter Skelter? I didn't realize it was just, it's just a big slide. You Brits and your Salinas. Wait, and You didn't know what a Helter Skelter was? No, no. No, well, I mean, I should, because the lyrics of Helter Skelter, that's it. Yeah, it's not called the Helter Skelter. I mean, that's it. Didn't know. I mean, you can sort of figure it out from from Paul McCartney's lyrics, which really generally describe the experience, but... But I don't know. Yes. I mean, when that's I the, the thing. Bottom, I go back to the top of the slide. See, where I, I stop and I turn and I go for a ride till I get to the bottom. Yeah, and I see you again. See you again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've yeah, got yeah, 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 yeah. on my fingers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm unfamiliar with the song, but you know, most of us dumb Americans were like, uh, according to Charles Manson, it's a call for race war, huh? You know what I mean? So helter skelter is one of those one of those terms that for Americans and especially you know Californians of a certain age has a completely different uh, context. So yeah, but let's Garth- be honest; they're probably trading on that a little bit. Well, that's the great thing about Ennis's story was how much he talks about. Here it comes, the helter skelter, and he and then like practically the next caption is like, "It's a slide, you know. It's just everything sliding together and coming apart all at once." But it's the helter skelter. I'm like, so Manson. Like, He's like, no, yeah, it really was. So, so <laughs> got to find out about that. Got to find out it, anyway. As we were saying, we were we were trying to wrap up. We were, we were. So I want to, again, the gentle folk of Patreon who throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh. Thank you so much. Because again, in some other weird version of the Helter Skelter, I had not just finished this volume and thought that it was great. And really, Lord only knows what I was doing with my life. But we are incredibly grateful for your little bit of your hard-earned dosh and fiscal support to keep us inspired and fired up. Yeah, good save there, Jeff. Um, also want to thank Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for her continuing support of this podcast, as well as this little neck of the galactic realm we call Earth. Graham? Uh, I have nothing to say because it's Drock, and you sing us out. Drock, you're under arrest, citizen. Report to the ISO cubes, and we'll see you in 30.